like Ben said, I'm Sam Bachman. My wife is Allie Bachman, and we've been able to come cross point for over a year now. Uh, today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40. Let's hear from God's word. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn from all and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sam. If you have a Bible, uh, open it up to that passage. Uh, that's one we'll be in this morning. The Bibles that we hold on our laps begin this way. Genesis 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. Let there be, and there was, let there be, and there was, on repeat. Out of what was formless and empty, our God created the heavens and the earth, and with his word came order and peace and harmony. A beautiful song was being played among creation, peace among humanity, peace between our triune creator God and his created people. And then tragically, humanity began to believe the lies of the serpent who questioned God's words, questioned his good authority and his lavish love, beginning to whisper, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from there? Did God really say that, that his ways lead to life? Did God really say to live within his boundaries? And the serpent began to sow seeds of distrust and rebellion, and the people took the bait. They rebelled against a God who had been absolutely perfect in love to them who'd created them in his image and likeness and sin into the world fracturing what was perfectly set forever disrupting the harmony and now as a result of sin the world that we live in is no longer marked by order and peace but marked by chaos and strife and you all know that because you were alive last week and the week before that because you and I are continually reminded of the tragic consequences of sin in the storyline of history. The world is constantly in chaos and strife. 
the gathering of God's people should not be. The gathering of God's people who are new creations in Christ, no longer identified by our sin, but by our Savior Jesus, this gathering should reflect who our God is. And our God is a God of order and peace. One sweet day, all of God's people from all of history and from every tribe and tongue will gather with one another in worship of our God, no longer being affected by the presence of sin. And until that sweet day is ushered in through the return of Jesus, this public gathering, the gathering of God's people such as this one, should be this little slice of heaven, marked by who our God is, a God of peace and harmony, humility and love. Sure, it's not going to be perfect this side of heaven, but in this already not yet, so already the kingdom of God is here, it's not yet fully realized. In this point in history, the rhythms of our gatherings should reflect our shared love for Jesus and for one another. And what we've seen in chapters 11 through 14 of this letter is Paul desiring that the church would be built up in Jesus through believers and members of the body using their spiritual gifts. The people were to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, not to exalt themselves, but to exalt Jesus. And yet the Corinthians, because of their immaturity in the faith, are turning the gathering of God's people into this chaotic, disorderly, self-centered mess rather than something of peace. Specifically, in the first 25 verses of chapter 14, we have seen Paul challenge the Corinthians that their speech and words in the gathering should build one another up in the faith. And the goal is not to build up yourself, but the collective church, and that because of the nature of the gift of prophecy, it's more effective in building up the body than the gift of tongues. So then in verses 26 through 40, we get some practical encouragement about how the church is prone to disorder and chaos in the gathering, encouragement that Paul is giving them, trying to lead them toward peace and harmony, which reflects the God that we worship. So verse 26, what then, brothers and sisters, what then from all this discussion of gifts and gatherings and how we do that in a way that builds up the body. Whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up whenever you come together. Since the start of the church in the book of Acts, the church is a, is a gathering people. When the power went out a few weeks ago here at the building, why didn't we just cancel our service? Well, because God's people are a gathering people a people who on a consistent basis come together, if at all possible. A live stream is a wonderful tool when we are sick or out of town or unable to be in person for whatever reason. It's a way to stay engaged when we are apart physically. But long-term, it isn't a spiritually healthy, long-term replacement for in-person physical gathering because it's one way. And even the one way isn't all the way. When we are in person, there's a mutuality that can't be replaced through a screen. And when any New Testament church gathers, there's a great variety of elements that go into the time. Singing, preaching, communion, fellowship, prayer, baptism, confession, testimony, scripture reading. And these are the ancient rhythms that were there in Corinth. They're here at Crossplane. And all these elements are not disjointed, but they're pointing one direction toward the worship and glory of Jesus alone. 
So may he be the one on the increase in our time together. Paul's focus here is on the speech when, and the words when the church comes together. And these various examples of speech are to build one another up. He's, he's both affirming the beauty, the unity, and the variety of the body when it gathers. And he's going to try to correct the disorder that is rooted not in Savior exalting, but in self-centered exalting. You will notice that, that Paul's assuming that the church will be active and engaged with one another when they come together. That they will bring their gifts, their words, their love I have a good friend who's been a worship pastor for, him for many, many years, and he has this little phrase that I think is, is helpful. He tells his church, don't come to worship on Sunday. Bring your worship with you on Sundays. Bring your worship. I love that. As we seek to express our love to the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, bring all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to this gathering, whether you're rejoicing or weeping, whether you are worn out or you are soaring like on the eagle's wings bring your worship and bring your hearts and your ears open to the spirit and eyes that are seeking to be spirit led sometimes pastor dave in the midst of singing encourages someone in the congregation to pray out loud he's not purposely trying to create an awkward moment i promise you that if you prayed faster it'd be less awkward but that's that's another <laughs> but what he's trying to do is he's trying to remind us that those of us in the rows we're not just passively watching four to eight to ten, ten people worship while the rest of us are like, cool. We are active worshipers. So he's trying to engage us, remind us of that, that we, the collective body of Christ, is worshiping our good and chief shepherd Jesus. And remember, brothers and sisters, when we come together, it's not just about 10 a.m. to love you, you're dismissed. It's before and after as well. The goal is engagement, one anothering, body engaged in ministering to the body. The family of God coming together to see the Lord continue to build His church and use His people to, spree, to speak words that strengthen, encourage, and comfort one another. To think that the only ministers in this place are those with a microphone is a great misunderstanding of this time together. It's a misunderstanding of the doctrine that the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in every believer and is empowering us not just for daily living, but also to minister to one another. It's the priesthood of all believers is the phrase. So family, come in these doors on a Sunday, not with the goal of who's going to talk to me? Who's going to minister to me? Who's going to introduce themselves to me? But come in with the Spirit-led hope of who might I bless? Who might I speak to? Who might I introduce myself to? Who might I pray for and build up with my words? Who can I feel purposely? Who can I go pursue to feel welcomed and loved? Bring your worship with you. Now Paul is going to work through three scenarios that he's encouraging the Corinthians to be silent, to listen, and to not speak. And in doing so, choosing humility and not haughtiness, choosing harmony and peace which will lead to the building up of his church verses uh, 27 and 28 if anyone speaks in a tongue there are to be only two or at the most three each in turn and let someone interpret but if there's no interpreter that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and god 
As we saw earlier in chapter 14, in the public gathering, Paul says the spiritual gifts of tongues is to be done in association with the gift of interpretation. Otherwise, that prayer language only strengthens the person praying and not the collective church because the whole church doesn't have a clue what's being said. He's not prohibiting, but he's saying that it needs to have an interpretation. So in the event that interpretation is given, then let one person speak at a time. This seems so elementary, does it not? The Apostle Paul is basically saying, wait your turn, wait your turn. Don't make it about you in this moment. Don't dominate the gathering with your words. And Paul's, Paul is, uh, is saying not everyone can talk at once. If the gathering is 6, 10, 12 people, everyone should be sharing. No one should be dominating that gathering either. But in the context of 250, or whatever the number was for the church at Corinth, not everyone is going to be able to speak in the flow of the service. And if they tried, it'd be chaotic to say the least. Paul's hopes when they come together is that there might be clarity and not confusion, peace, not chaos. And much of that has to do with how we speak and how we listen. It's not just the speech of tongues that is to be done in a properly or orderly way, but also prophecy, which is where he goes next. Verses 29 through 32. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. But if someone has been but if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone can learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets since God is not a God of disorder but of peace. Again, this seems so elementary. Let one person speak at a time. And yet the fact that Paul has to write this reveals how immature this church was, how much they needed to grow up in the gospel. The more we grow up in Jesus, the more we become like him, and he was the epitome of other-orientedness, considering the needs of others. So when a prophetic word is given, Paul says it should be evaluated, meaning it's not just taken at face value, it's weighed, it's tested against the word of God. Does it line up? Or does it contradict? Does it lead to the exaltation of Jesus or the exaltation of the person? Does it lead to the common good of the church or just the selfish good of one or two? So it's not, hey, I have a prophetic word and whatever follows is not subject to evaluation, but rather it's to be tested. And this idea of evaluating shows up elsewhere in the New Testament. For instance, 1 John 4, 1 says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see, it, to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21 says, don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. A few months ago, a crosspointer uh, who'd been visiting here for quite a while uh, shared a word of prophecy with one of our elders. It was to the effect of that what you're working on and laboring on as elders, it's going to bear fruit in the church. And that elder brought that to the team, and it was a timely word of strengthening for us because we have hopes and dreams to see our disciple-making really flourish, be fruitful in the years ahead, in the next 20 years, that God, while, while this word, while not overly specific, it was still tested, held up against the light of the Scriptures, the, the truth of Jesus as Lord, 
the common good of his church. Notice that the goal of prophecy or ultimately any speech, such as a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation, the goal, according to verse 31, is that everyone might learn and be encouraged. Not that the person speaking might be glorified, but so that the church as a whole, according to verse 3 of chapter 14, would be strengthened, encouraged, consoled, or comforted. Verses 32 and 33 again. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. What Paul's saying here is the gift of prophecy is not an uncontrolled experience. Growing up, I had a black and white TV in my bedroom. I'd flip on the TV late at night before it went to the uh, bars or the fuzz. You know, back in the 1900s when you could hear the clippity-clop of the horses go by. <laughs> Anyways, I'd be dialing through the channels, five of them, started with four, picked up 43, got to five. Okay? Ran across some late-night televangelists asking for money. This is notoriously what was on late at night or some infomercial. But anyways, watching these gatherings, it seemed more chaos to me. It seemed like chaos was a theme and that people's spirits were uncontrolled, that they were simply consumed by some external force. And frankly, to me, who didn't attend church at the time, it was deeply confusing. Like, that's what's going to happen? I don't know if I want to go there. Paul is saying here that the prophetic speech that is spirit-led in exalting Jesus as Lord will be done in a way that reveals God's character, his attributes, including that of peace, a God of order who formed the heavens and the earth out of what was formless and void. So as a result, a prophet, so as a result the prophet's words will not lead to confusion but clarity, not to a place of unanchored emotions, but to a place where the people of God are more and more anchored to the truth of who the Lord is and His unchanging, steady, faithful character. Second half of verse 33 through 35, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves as the law also says. So if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. All right, so this is the section that when you heard Sam read it, you're like, can we just go ahead and get to that one quick? I want to hear what that has to say. We have to work, look at it in context, so we're getting there, okay? Here we are. Back on February 12th, I preached through some of chapter 11, and Paul was writing about head coverings and hair length and ultimately teaching about how the Lord has designed men and women to, to be both distinct and interdependent, that gender is not fluid despite what culture says, but rather God has created men, men and women in his image and likeness, fearfully, wonderfully making each person in his love. If you haven't listened to that one, I'd encourage you to do so. First Corinthians has had some gems along the way, and I've, en I've enjoyed that, enjoyed the challenge of that. I pray it's been helpful to your faith and to, to your uh, understanding of a variety of topics that this letter touches on. Women should be silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak. Some would interpret this verse very, very literally and legalistically. 
and as a result say that our gathering thus far has been in error because we've had sisters in Christ call us to worship, sing on a worship team, which happens every single Sunday. I chose not to have a woman read the scripture today because simply I just didn't want to put her in an awkward situation. But they would say that last week or week before when that took place, that our gathering would then be an error. What we must do when we come to spirit-inspired verses such as these is look at the context that the words fall into as well as the whole counsel of the Word of God. As a general rule, as a general rule taking a verse out of context leads to a great misunderstanding of what the Scriptures are actually teaching. Is this a universal command that women are never allowed to speak in the church gathering for any reason? No. This is not a universal command. For example, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's assuming that both men and women will be involved in prayer and prophecy, that the spiritual gift of prophecy is not just limited to men only. So what is the context of this section? How might that context help us understand what is going on and how it applies to life in the New Testament church? Thus, thus far in this section, Paul's addressed groups of people that are disrupting the order and peace that the gathering of God's people is to be characterized by. From the tongues person without an interpretation to the prophet who doesn't want anyone else to talk but just wants to dominate that thing, he's addressing people that should be quiet at certain times under certain conditions. In this third case, it's Corinthian women who are constantly disrupting. The meaning of the word speak there in verse 34 and 35 has the meaning of questioning, arguing, chattering type of speech. And such questioning was happening around the action of evaluating prophecy, which the church is called to do. But in this situation, one of the things that was happening here were wives that were called to honor their husbands according to, verse, or according to uh, 1 Corinthians 11. They were openly arguing with their own husbands who were giving prophetic words. And what we saw in chapter 11 is that these women were prone to be dismissive of their husbands. So by casting off their head coverings or letting their hair down, they were basically saying, I'm available. I don't care about him. I want you to care about me. Look at me. And so Paul's writing to some sisters in Christ who needed to make progress in honoring and loving their husbands. Scholar Anthony Thistleton wrote this. We believe the speaking, the the speaking in question here signifies the activity of sifting or weighing the words of the prophets, especially by asking probing questions about the prophet's theology or even the prophet's lifestyle in public. This would become especially sensitive and problematic if wives were cross-examining their husbands about their speech and conduct, which supported or undermined the authenticity of a claim to utter a prophetic message, and thus would readily introduce Paul's suggestion to reserving questions of a certain kind for home. Years ago, Heather and I heard this counsel. It was honor publicly, confront privately. Honor publicly, confront privately. Now, at the time, the context of that counsel was around leadership in the church. But this is exactly what Paul is speaking of here. Corinthian sisters, honor publicly, confront privately. In doing so, it will help the gathering to not be chaotic, but peaceful. 
Have you ever been in a conversation and the husband and wife get into it in front of you? And not general disagreement, but a calling out of one another in aggressive or passive-aggressive tones. And in that moment, you're thinking, you're not thinking, boy, this is peaceful. This is a sweet little moment here. No, you're thinking, oh, it seems foggy in here. Like the, we could cut the tension. Is that what, what's happening here? It's not that the disagreement should not be dealt with. It should be. It must be. The, the gospel speaks to that disagreement must be dealt with. But the Corinthians are playing this out in the public gathering, and it's leading to chaos, not to peace. You probably don't know this, but here you go. Now you will. There have been times when my wife has confronted me, not just privately at home, but in this gathering. There have been some stretches of ministry years ago where um, stress was high, uh, burden was heavy in my life, conflict was occurring. Excuses aside, I was coming off angry, irritated, impatient from the platform. You might have noticed this, maybe not. Where the words or tone of the words coming out of my mouth that were intended to build up were not leading to that. They were not matching my private life. And so in the gathering, she might confront me with her eyes. And any husband in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. Like, like these, like, easy. <laughs> smiling, smiling, easy. Okay? I love the Holy Spirit through the Heather Spirit. It's a gift. <laughs> it is a gift, truly. Now, it would have been disruptive, to say the least, had she grabbed the handheld mic and said, hey, 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 hey listen, listen, listen. Check yourself. Check your heart. Holster your weapon, angry husband. You sure that matches up with what your heart is saying? And Do those things need to be said? Yes. Yes, most certainly they do. Praise God for wives who speak the truth and love to their husbands and husbands to their wives. But do they need to be said in the midst of this public gathering? No. Not only are the Corinthian wives chattering about their husbands, but they're also talking about talking to other husbands or asking other husbands in the room about their words of prophecy. And while in our day it's not scandalous for a woman to talk to a man who is not her husband, it was totally inappropriate and scandalous in a Greco-Roman world. Such action then would have revealed the same kind of attitude from 1 Corinthians 15 or 1 Corinthians 11 of like, I don't care about my husband, I care about you. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about you and me and it would have been dismissive of the husband's loving leadership and dismissive of her role to love him well. Verses 36 through 40. Or did the word of God originate from you or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything is to be done decently and, and in order. Remember the theme of arrogance that the Corinthians are known for, spiritual arrogance and self-importance that is prone to question Paul's apostolic authority, leading them to uh, not only question, but then fight with his words, contend with his words, rather than receiving his words in humility. 
They are people prone to go their own way, do their own thing, be above counsel, be above correction. You do you, Corinthians, which is leading to chaos when they come together. One author wrote, the Corinthians thought they had received a unique word from God and knew better than the apostle. They believed in it, that in their own wisdom, they had arrived at a better way to worship than the one they had received. And so verse 36 has a sarcastic bite to it. Surely you don't think that the word of God started with you or you're, that you're the only people it reached. Do you think you wrote the book on spiritual gifts that it begins and ends with you and how to live that out? And Paul's encouraging them toward a teachable and humble spirit. Paul's saying spiritual maturity is expressed through a dependence and trust in the Lord and his word, his wisdom, and his ways. On the other hand, spiritual immaturity is expressed through self-exalting worship that departs from the Lord's words, His wisdom, and His ways. When we come together as God's people, it should be for the better, for the building up of one another, for the glory of our Savior and Lord Jesus who brought us together by His body and by His blood who has made us new in Him and is making us more and more into His image, who is faithful to finish what He has started in us. We're going to move into a time of communion and remembering the Lord's sacrifice. We serve a supernatural God who is most certainly alive and at work, not only when we leave this place, but when we enter this place alongside one another. So when the world is in chaos, when we might feel like our own little worlds, are marked by unrest. I pray that this place, this gathering, would be one of rest, be a, one of peace, reminding us of the one true and triune God in whom we serve and worship. And the God who so loved, who sent His one and only Son to take on flesh, to leave the perfect peace and order of heaven, and to enter our world of unrest and disorder because of our sin. The Prince of Peace has come, loved ones. He's coming again. And He has taken what is broken and fractured in us and made us new in Him, healed up our self-inflicted wounds because of our sin and flesh. What went wrong in Genesis 3 is being made right, loved ones. And we, the church, God's people, are to reflect that when we come together, including when we take the bread and when we take the juice as we hold those in our hands, as we take the elements together as one body of Christ, we are reminded of the unity we have in the family of God. If you're a believer in and follower of Jesus, you are welcome and encouraged to take communion with us this morning. You don't need to be a covenant member of Crosspoint. Our First Impressions team will be, begin passing out the trays, uh, the wafers on top, the juices underneath there. I encourage you to open that and then spend some time in prayer and then we will take the bread and the juice together as one unified body afterwards. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our Prince of Peace. We worship you as 
as the one that's brought about true peace. Thank you for taking what was broken in us and setting it right, healing up the wounds from our sin, bringing about a growing humility in us where once only selfish pride existed. Thank you for establishing the church, calling us to live alongside this family in the rhythm of gathering with one another on a weekly basis. What a gift it is to gather. Help us to glorify you when we come together. May it be for the better and the building up of your church. Help us to bring our worship of you with us to this place. May this gathering reflect the peace we have in you. May this be a place where we can find rest for our souls and encourage one another toward a life of love and good deeds that glorify you. May, may this gathering be a place where we can learn and grow in our understanding of who you are and who we are in you and that this would be a chance, a gracious God-given opportunity for us to speak words toward one another to strengthen and encourage and comfort. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Prince of Peace. Amen. We give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it.